Sunday is supposed to be church. And the Holy Spirit took over. And uh, by the end of the service, God had told me to have church on Monday night. And I said, but we don't have anything planned to have church on Monday night. And God said, quit worrying about that. And uh, Monday night turned into Tuesday night and Wednesday night and Thursday night and Friday night. And uh, we're going to, uh, the ladies are going to be in, in Independence tomorrow morning for our district ladies rally. And Sister Marilyn Silkwood is going to be speaking there. And uh, I'm going to let you, amen. Tomorrow night, we're going to take a little breather. Sunday morning, Pastor Tommy's going to be back. Uh, my wife told me that Sunday morning, Pastor Tommy had to come. It could not be Evangelist Tommy because we needed to get to lunch. Uh, and Evangelist Tommy preaches too long. And, uh, but um, Sunday night, we're going to kick back off with pop-up revival again. God's laid it on my heart. And uh, we're at least going to schedule right now to go Sunday night through Wednesday night next week. Now, we'll see what happens Thursday and Friday. I have my ideas, but we'll see what God wants. Amen. And uh, so Sunday night through Wednesday night next week, we'll be continuing. Tonight, I am fired up. Pastor Tommy gets excited. Evangelist Tommy gets fired up. I am fired up tonight. Amen. I want you to open your Bibles with me. 2 Samuel chapter 6, I'm only going to read one verse. Don't get excited. I'm going to talk about way more than that. Reading from the New Living Translation, this is what the Word of the Lord says. Then King David was told, The Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with great celebration. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you right now. We thank you and we praise you for your power. We thank you and we praise you for your anointing and for your peace. And Lord, I pray that you would reach down right now and send a revival into our heart, Lord Jesus. Lord, I want you to catch us up, Lord, and let us feel the anointing as we felt it every night this week. Lord, allow us tonight to create revival, to create renewal, to create the power that you have promised us. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Very familiar passage of Scripture, very familiar verse. says that when David, King David heard that Obed-Edom's house had been blessed. Now, what we know is that the ark of God had been dropped off in Obed-Edom's house. Now, let me give you some background. That's why I love being evangelist, Tommy. I can spend more time on the introduction than the points. Amen. But, but the ark of God was not in the temple or in the house. There wasn't a temple at that time. It wasn't in the house of God. It wasn't in the leadership uh, place of the country. It had been stolen. It had been taken away. We we go back, and, and many of you remember a sermon series I preached several years ago called Bringing Back the Glory. And, and the ark of God had been carried into battle by Eli's two wicked sons. They thought that having the ark would be like having a good luck charm. And if they could take the ark into battle, that they could win the battle. Sometimes we think if we've got something that says we're Christian, that that's all we need. But if we have 
no commitment to it, it's meaningless. Sometimes we think if we wear a gold cross around our neck and we say we believe in Jesus, and if we share that post with a hundred friends, then we must be okay. I got news for you. Until you have a relationship with God, you can share all the posts you want. You can wear all the jewelry you want. You can speak in King James if you want. If you don't know him, you don't know him. And he can't win your battles for you. They took the ark of God like a good luck charm into battle. And the Philistines rose up and defeated them. And when they defeated them, they stole the ark. The messenger came back and he found Eli on the edge of town. And Eli said, how goes the battle? And the messenger said, the battle has been fierce. Your sons have been killed. I alone have escaped. And Eli says, what about the ark of God? And the messenger says, oh, man of God, the ark of God has been stolen by the Philistines. The ark of God has been stolen by the Philistines. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that Eli fell off the stool, the fence where he was sitting and broke his neck for he was a fat man, a large man. Oh, when I preached this sermon before, I talked about that's what's wrong with a lot of us is we've gotten too fat spiritually. We don't know how to fight anymore. We don't know how to worship anymore. We don't know how to celebrate anymore because we're too settled into what we think we know. Eli died that day. His daughter-in-law was giving birth, and we all know the story as she gave birth, hearing that her husband, her brother-in-law, and her father-in-law had been killed, but most importantly, that the ark of God had been taken. She cried out and named uh, uh, her baby Ichabod. Where is the glory? Where is the power of God? Where is what's going to lead us? It has been taken away. The Philistines celebrated they took the ark and they set it up in their temple of Dagon. They come in the next day, Dagon was laying on his face in front of the ark of the covenant. They set Dagon back up in his place. Oh, I got news for you. You got a problem. If you've got a God, you need to prop up. Oh, come on now. They come in the next day, this time Dagon, who was half fish and half man, not only had fell down, but his head had broken off and rode across the threshold. No, no other God can stand in the presence of the power of God. About this same time, the Philistines were struck with tumors and an infestation of rats. They began to research and find out what was going on, and they realized that it was connected to the ark of God. And the Philistines said, we got to get rid of God. I got news for you. If you're not living right, the last thing you want is God in your room. They were told, take the ark, fashion golden rats and golden tumors. I'll let you research what tumors are yourself. They were hemorrhoids. Research it. I ain't lying. Make golden tumors and golden rats. Place them inside the ark. Hook up the ark to calves that have never been separated from their mother. 
and let them go. And if they go back to Israel, then it was God's plan. Oh, when I preach the sermon, bringing back the glory, I preach a whole sermon on driving cows. They went directly back to Israel, lowing all the way. Oh, I got news for you. Those cows were smarter than people. They knew how to get the presence of God back where the presence of God belonged. And as those cows came in to the city, the city, the first city in Israel began to celebrate. They began, they began to have a party. Oh, God has brought the power of God back. The ark is back. And in their excitement, somebody got crazy and opened up the ark. And died. Mm. When you start messing with the holy, when you think the holy is common, you lose sight of what life is and you die. They began to cry, come get this. And so they went and they took the ark and they put it in Abinadab's house. And nobody wanted it anymore. Now, let me give you just a little time frame here. This happens when Samuel was still a boy. This happens before Saul had been anointed king. Through the entire reign of Saul, the ark of God was never brought to a house of worship. It was never brought to a palace of leadership, but it was left hidden up in Abinadab's house because nobody wanted to deal with the presence of God. Oh, we're God's people. We're God's chosen, but we won't, don't, don't want to deal with the holiness of God. We want to have church. We want to have fellowship. We want to have festivals. We want to have feasts. We want to have all the glory of being the children of Israel, but don't make us responsible for the presence of God. Can I tell you, we have been too long in the American church saying it's okay for the presence of God to be somewhere else. Don't invade our church. Don't mess up our church with anointing. Don't mess up our church with holiness. Don't mess up our church with responsibility. I want to be able to do what I want to do. You know what happens when you start letting holiness and God's presence come into your church? you start realizing that your religion doesn't cut it anymore. David is made king. And David says, we got to figure out a way to get the ark out of Abinadab's house and get it into the city of David, into Jerusalem. We need the presence of God leading us. David understood that it wasn't about his might and his power, but it was about the presence and the power of God. See, David learned that young. David was still out in a field when Samuel came to anoint the new king. His daddy didn't even think he deserved to be there. But all of a sudden... When they sent for David and David came in, Samuel said, he's the one, and he anointed him. After he had been anointed to be king, they sent him back out into the field. He was anointed to be king, but all he was good for was watching sheep and carrying cheese. And 
when he carries cheese to his brothers in the battlefield. And there was a giant that for 40 days was mocking them and taunting them and challenging them. And everybody was afraid and everybody was scared. David said, why isn't anybody fighting? David went to Saul and said, I'll go fight him. Saul said, "How do you? where do you come up with this power? He said, listen, I was watching dad's sheep one time and a lion came up to steal some of the flock. And the power of God came over. Hear this. The power of God came over me and I slew the lion. Another time a bear rose up to take one of the flock. And again, the power of God overshadowed me. And I killed the bear with my own bare hands. He never said my strength, my ability, my talent. He said the power of God overshadowed him. And then when he walked out against Goliath, Goliath said, What, am I a dog that you sent a boy with sticks out to fight me? And David squares back his back and looks up at Goliath and says, you come at me with swords and spears, but I come at you in the name of the God of the armies of Israel. And today I will feed your flesh to the wild animals. See, he understood that it wasn't his fight. It wasn't his ability, that it was all about God. It was all about what God could do. So David, when he becomes king, he says, if I have to believe that God is the one that delivered the lion and delivered the bear, if I understand that God is the one that delivered Goliath into my hands, if I understand that God is the one that put the crown on my head, then there is no way I can lead this people without the presence of God here. So David begins seeking the presence of God. Now, if I'm going to name this sermon, and and it was just on the slide, I'm going to call it Creating Revival. Oh, Pastor, we can't create what God gives. Yeah, we can. God gives us the formula. God shows us how to revive our spirit. He shows us how to renew what we have. The first thing we got to do is what David did. We got to start looking. Asking you shall receive. Seeking you shall find. Uh, Knocking the door will be opened unto you. We've got to be looking for it. He went looking for the ark, for the presence of God. Where is the ark? Where have we put it? Somebody said it's in Abinadab's house. Abinadab's had it long enough. Abinadab has had the blessing long enough. And so they go to Abinadab's house. And, oh, man, I wish you could have seen it. Ooh, Lord have mercy. They got there, and they had went, and it was a new day. Generation had passed since the ark had been stolen. And when the new day comes, we got to understand, oh, Oh, Evangelist Tommy's preaching here. Pastor Tommy's just agreeing. All right? Some of you are going to think Pastor Tommy wouldn't, wouldn't agree with this, but he does. They go and they say, it's a new time. It's a new season. We're going to go this time, and we're going to build a brand new cart. We're going to do this a new way. 
We're going to carry this a different way. We don't have to do it like grandma did it. We're going to do something else. We don't have to do it the way God told us to do it. We can do it the way we want to do it. After all, this is the modern age. We can grab revival. We don't need an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. We don't need Pentecost. We don't need holiness. All we need is some flashing lights and some smoke machines and some loud music. And we can have revival if we all come on now. That's what we're trying to do. We try to, we try to make it work a new way. I'm not saying I don't like new stuff. Y'all know me better than that. But I'm telling you, there ain't nothing in this world going to take the place of the presence of God. There ain't nothing in this world going to take the place of good old-fashioned prayer and fasting and good old-fashioned anointing of God's power. They grab the ark, they put it on a cart, and they put David begins to celebrate. They begin to play the music. They're doing the worship. We're going to talk about that in a minute. It, it's, it's all good. But they decide that what they need to do is put the people most familiar with the ark next to it. The sons of Abinadab, they were not priests, but they had grown up in the house with the ark. Now, if there's anything they should have known is how to deal with the ark. They had been around it all their life. They had been bred, they had been born around it. From the time they were little bitty babies, their daddy would say, oh, don't touch. Don't touch. Everywhere they went as they grew up, they walked around that house, and they saw the presence, and they experienced the blessing, and they understood the awesomeness. All of their life, they had seen the power. But they didn't reverence the authority. I've been raised in the church as some of you have. Mom and dad are here tonight. When I was born, that means I got to watch what I say. I better not say shut up tonight like I did the other day. I, I was raised in the presence of God. I was raised going to church. I, 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 I thought everybody shouted. I, I, thought, I thought Catholic people spoke in tongues and run the aisles. I, I just thought that's what you did at church. I mean, I grew up in a day and time when mom was even saving. Her hair was up to here. Those, those ladies back in those days, some of them shouted, some of them just lost their balance. And all of a sudden, I hit a place in my life where I knew what God's power was. I knew what it looked like, but I didn't reverence it. I didn't reverence it. Oh, I played the game. I knew when I was supposed to raise my hand. I knew when I was supposed to stand up. I knew when I was supposed to shout. I even knew when I was supposed to go. <laughs> I knew when I was supposed to run, and I knew that Thursday night at youth camp, I was supposed to get saved. You don't get saved on Thursday night. That way you can have fun the rest of the week. I knew all that stuff, 
but somewhere I had lost a reverence for the presence of God. And here comes the Benadab's sons. Nobody else knew what the presence was. So they placed not priests, but those who had been raised around the ark. And there comes shouting and singing. David and all the people of Israel celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, uh, castanets, and cymbals. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. Let me tell you something. We go seeking the presence of God, but if we don't know where it is, if we don't understand how to reverence it, then somewhere we think we've got to steady it. When you look at a map and you look at the terrain, Brother Curtis brought this out in a sermon I heard him preach. It was a hilly terrain between Abinadab's house and Jerusalem, except for the threshing floor which had been made smooth. It was a smooth spot. It was an easy place. Not only that, the ark was being pulled by oxen. Very likely those very oxen had walked on that threshing floor, threshing out the wheat many times. They were familiar. But when they got to a smooth spot... Everything got easy all of a sudden. Everything got simple. That's when the oxen stumbled. And Uzzah, familiar with God, reached out his hand and thought it was his place to steady God. Can I give you a warning sign? Can, can, can I just, just, let me speak something into you, just as a warning. When you start fighting to save your church, you've become Uzzah. If you have started arguing to save what your religion looks like, you're like Uzzah and you think it's your job to steady God. I got news for you, honey. God doesn't need your help. God doesn't need you to steady him. God needs you to worship him. God needs you to trust him. We say we need to seek the presence of God, but we can't control the presence of God. It's not our job to protect the presence of God. Every time I find in the Bible that somebody step out to protect God, God has to grab a hold of them and say, pay attention. The Bible says that Abram was called by God to leave, and Lot went with him. Abram followed God, and Lot followed Abram. Oh, I'm afraid that we've got some lots in the house today. Daddy followed God, and I followed Daddy. Here's the problem with that. When you don't follow God and you follow somebody else, you don't see the way God sees. And when the land was divided, Lot said, I want to take what looks good. And Abram said, I'll take the rest. But what Lot found out is what looked good didn't act good. 
And God came down to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham pleaded with him. And when the angel of the Lord showed up in Sodom, the city rose up. And all the men came to Lot's door and began to say, let those men come out so that we can have our way with them. The homosexual attack showed its face. Lot, like Uzzah, believed it was his job to protect God. And Lot stepped outside the door and said, friends. Oh, when you make friends with the enemy, make you do things you didn't think you'd do. Friends. I have two daughters who have never known a man. I will bring them out and you can do whatever you want to with them. The angel of the Lord reached out and grabbed him by the back of the neck, pulled him back in the house, struck every man in that city blind, and said, Lot, you better get your stuff because it's coming down. God destroys why do you tell that story in the middle of a story about David? Because Uzzah and Lot did the same things. They tried to protect. They tried to steady. They thought it was their job to take care of God. I've got news for you. It's not your job to take care of God. It's not your job to take care of this revival. It's not my job. To figure out how this is all going to work. It's my job to trust him. But can I tell you. Something happens when somebody steps out of line. And tries to protect God. Yeah I know us that died. I'm a hard hearted person. And there are times I'm like. Got what he deserved. Way I am. Okay. I grew up here and you made their bed. Now they got to sleep in it. I mean, I, I grew up in a hard house. My mama used to say, don't try, do it. Trying, it wasn't even good enough. Had to do it. Us had died. Us had deserved to die. Sorry, but that happens sometimes. But something worse than that happened. The king who understood the power was needed, the king who understood he couldn't do his job without the presence of God, the king who had fought under the name of the God of the armies of Israel, the king who had killed giants, the king who now wore the throne, anointed to be the king, to be the king for generations to come, the king who understand how to praise, got angry. And couldn't praise anymore. Can I tell you something? When you start trying to protect God, you affect other people. David was a man after God's own heart, but when somebody stepped out of line and did the wrong thing, the man after God's own heart said, I don't want anything to do with that. 
You know what's wrong with the American? You know what's wrong with Souls Harbor? Forget this American church junk. You know what's wrong with Souls Harbor? You know what's wrong with the church of God? It's somewhere down the road. We've watched somebody misuse the power of God, and now we've thrown our hands up in the air, and we say, I don't want that anymore. We've watched a generation come up misusing holiness and making it about legalism and making it about the clothes you wear and the, and, and the way you dress and the way you look, and we've thrown our hands up, and we say, I don't want to be any part of that, and now we've lost the presence to Just because somebody did it wrong, we give in and don't have it at all anymore. David says, leave it. And they pulled off to the side. And they put the ark at Obed-Edom's house. And David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, they took it to the house of Obed-Edom. Yeah. It's all something I ain't ever seen before. One of my Bible scholars told me, where Goliath at? I believe that Goliath. Anybody else get that? When somebody messed up the presence of God, David not only said, I don't want to take it to my house, give it to the house that the giant came from. Not only am I going to leave it behind, but I'm going to give it to the greatest enemy I'm known for killing. Y'all better hang on, hang on. Pastor Tommy's going to come back and preach that later. Wow. Obed-Edom of Gath. And the ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Oh, get past it. When you decide to let go of the presence of God, your enemy will be blessed. But now David hears, hey, David, have you heard what's been happening at Obed-Edom's house? Everything he touches has been blessed. Everything he does is blessed. And David comes to his senses and says, I didn't kill Goliath and his four brothers so that their household can be blessed. I have been anointed to be the king of God's nation, and I need his presence. So David decides to go back and do it right. Now, how do we do it right? The first thing we know is that when David went back, they brought the ark of the Lord out of Obed-Edom's house, 
And, and if you go over into uh, uh, Second, uh, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, and telling of this story, it talks about how that this time they took the priest and they bared the ark on the shoulders of the priest the same way that the ark was carried in Exodus. Can I tell you something? Revival has to be carried on your shoulders. It's got to be a weight. It's got to be a burden. We've got to quit trying to short circuit and make revival easy. We got to quit trying to make it where revival is simple. And we got to pick up the weight and begin to carry the ark on our shoulders. Oh, Pastor, the Bible says it had to be on priests, but haven't you heard? Know you not that we are a royal priesthood? The revival, the presence of God is not carried in a song. Oh, I got to say it again. It's not carried in a song. It's not carried in a sermon. It's not carried in a program. It's not carried in a church building. It's not carried by the name over a church. It's carried on the shoulders of men and women who trust God and believe him and walk as a royal priesthood. Pastor, you bring in you bring in the glory and we'll celebrate. It don't work that way. I can't carry the load for you. Sometimes I don't know if I can carry the load for me. Sometimes I, I don't know if I can carry the load for me. I know I can't carry it. Every one of us has got to pick revival up on our shoulders. we got to pick the presence of God up on our shoulders. And we've got to say, God, I am your servant. I want you to get this picture. They carried the ark on two poles that went through rings on the side of the ark. They were on the foot of the ark. So when the, the poles went through of, 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 a, of a acacia wood, and they would pick them up, four priests, one on each corner, and they would begin to walk the chest of the ark set above their head. And on the top of the ark was the mercy seat, which was the place that God would come down and sit to judge. Have you ever watched an old movie? Maybe you watched Aladdin. And when they had the parade of princes and kings come in in the movie Aladdin, they walked with servants, and the kings and the queens sat in seats above them as the servants carried them into the city. Here's what I'm telling you. When we bear the weight of revival on our shoulder, it's not because we've got to carry it. It's because it is a place of honor above us. We are just its servants. Our job is to serve and to carry. Our job is to be the feet that carry the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We've got to bear revival on our shoulder. We can't make it simple. 
We've got to carry the weight. We've got to serve. Revival is meant to be carried on your shoulders. Something else I see. Revival is surrounded by sacrifice. After the men who were carrying the ark had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. Now, you read some commentators, and they'll say, now, I don't know if this is possible. I researched it. I think it was something like three miles from Obed-Edom's house to Jerusalem. And according to the way I read the Bible, and I believe this to be the case, Every time they went one, two, four, five, six, they stopped and sacrificed and a fatted calf. Heard me preach. You've heard me preach this before. I, I, six steps in praise. We can't get we can't get God into the middle of everything in our life unless we surround Him with sacrifice. Ever six steps, they stopped and praised. They stopped and sacrificed. I use that scripture as a as a offering at a camp meeting a couple uh, about a year ago, and the speaker got up. Uh, uh, Toby Morgan, the overseer of Texas, got up and began to preach, and he added something to it that I've never thought of. He said, I believe what the brother said tonight in the offering was right. He said the road into David's tabernacle was a smelly, bloody road. Here we are again, church. We can create revival but it's heavy and it's smelly and it's bloody. Take sacrifice. These revivals have popped up. They were not planned. We got other stuff to do. And we're having church every night. And one week's not enough. We're going to go another week. It's exhausting. Some people are driving an hour and a half to get here every night. Every night. Some of us are acting like we're evangelists and we're preaching an hour and a half every night. If we want to have God's power, we got to sacrifice. If we're going to have, if we really want God to do something special, we got to get outside of our normal. We got to get outside of what we've always done. We got to get outside of what seems comfortable. We got to get outside of what makes sense. It doesn't make sense to sacrifice a bull and a calf every six steps for, for three miles. But if that's what God said do, that's what we better be doing. Revival will never happen without sacrifice. We've got to sacrifice our time. 
we got to sacrifice our energy. We got to sacrifice our money. We got to sacrifice our sleep. We got to sacrifice our bodies. David says, I present myself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. My life is a sacrifice. If I want revival to come in my life, I got to lose the words I want. I got to lose the words. This is how I think it needs to be. And we got to understand that we're carrying the presence of God, and we better stop and sacrifice to the power and the glory of God. They sacrificed. They surrounded the ark with sacrifice. Revival is always escorted by praise. So David and all of Israel brought the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horn. You want to know why revival is always surrounded by worship? Because the presence of God is intended to be escorted by praise. We, those of us that was here Sunday night, we, we sort of know what sort of kicked this thing off. Somebody sang my song. I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord high and lifted up in his train. It filled the temple. And the angels cried holy. If the angels of God spend their entire existence around the throne of God crying holy, how in the world do we think he will leave praise to come to no praise? If we want the presence of God, the Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. If we want God in our presence, we better be praising him. I let you in on a secret. God doesn't come down to inhabit your complaints. He didn't come down to inhabit your whining. Oh, God. You sent a crazy man to be our pastor. And now he's trying to be our evangelist, too. That ain't going to bring God. It may be true, but it ain't going to bring God. I don't care what your complaint is. You're complaining, you're whining, you're crying, your belly aching ain't going to bring a revival. But if you want the presence of God, begin to praise his name, begin to glorify him, begin to cry holy, holy, holy. Oh, I went here last night. Let me go here again. If you want the presence of God, 
Don't get up and try to sing some kind of little love song about how much God loves you and how much he cares about you and call it worship. Oh, and I'm going the other way too. I did it last night. I'll do it again tonight. Don't get up and sing some song about how great heaven's going to be and think that's praising God. Oh, I believe heaven's going to be great. I can't wait to get there. I believe that he loves me and he cares for me. And I and I know that. But I understand that if I want his presence here, I ain't going to sing about what he's doing for me. But instead, I'm going to lift up my voice and I'm going to begin to cry, Holy, 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 holy. Revival is escorted by praise. Can I clear up another misconception while I'm here? This is evangelist Tommy. So if you get mad, talk to Pastor Tommy later. And he'll say, I, I couldn't control him. That's the joy. Pastors can't control what the evangelist says. Let me clear up another piece of misunderstanding. Praise is not limited to music. And I tell you the struggles I've had this week. I feel like God wants us to continue the right revival. But somehow our worship pastor has decided that vacation is called. I do, but I don't get to go. And I'm like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? So all of a sudden, we got other people that can sing. Mark's going to lead a couple of nights. Tommy's going to lead a night. And I told him, we may have a night next week that we don't have any music. Mm-hmm. Want to know if this revival is real? Let's praise him without music. Let, 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 let's come in the house and spend a few minutes just shouting out praises to God. Preach a message and let God come down and speak into our heart and quit worrying about what song was sang and whether they sang this song I like or that song I like or whether there was a key change in the right place. I got news for you. Praise escorts revival, but praise doesn't isn't limited to music. It's not limited to a song. And, dear Lord, it's sure not limited to a style. Send me some rappers in here, and just, we'll just have worship and rap one night. Come on now. You know what David did? They sang, but the Bible says David. And I believe that's pretty much like it was, because one, one translation said he danced like a fool. Pretty much that's He, he praised. You want to know why we struggle with revival?
if we can't sacrifice with our praise, our phrase is worthless. Heard all these excuses. Talked about it the other night. My back hurts. My feet hurt. Listen, I'll put my feet up against about anybody in the room. My feet hurt. I'm going to tell you something. It ain't going to stop me from praising. It ain't going to stop me from praising. You don't have to stand up to praise, but you got to do something. Y'all remember a few years ago, I, I told you, I said, during worship, if you can stand, come and stand in the altar. Just get out of your seat. If you can't stand, get up and move to another seat during worship just to show that you will sacrifice your comfort. I don't care if you get out of a seat back there and just for worship come and sit in a front row and raise your hands and sing and then go back and sit where you're comfortable. Do something. Sacrifice and praise. David danced as a fool before the Lord. He took off his kingly robes. He danced. The Bible says he danced naked. I do believe that that meant naked kingly. I believe that it meant that he didn't have his robes on. He looked like a normal person. About to pastor a church. You hear me and you hear me good. If you really want the presence of God, you get someplace and you take the pastor's robe off. And you stand before your people just like they are and worship God. And you let them know that it's not your position that worships God. It's your heart that worships God. Now, let me say the same thing to every Sunday school teacher, every church leader, every person that teaches children and adults. Quit trying to look like you've got it all together and take your kingly robes off and say, I just want to praise him. Let me tell you something else. Revival was meant to be given away. Skip down here a little bit. Verse 19. Let me go to verse 18. It says, when he had finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Then he gave every Israelite man and woman in the crowd a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. Then all the people returned to their home. When David returned home to bless his own family. Bible is meant to be given away. When the ark of God came in, they sacrificed, they danced, and then the king got up and said, get everybody a loaf of bread. Give them a cake of raisin and a cake of dates. Send them home to have their own party. Then the Bible says he came home to his wife, and I'm going to talk more about this in a minute. He came home to his wife to bless his family.
some of you are not going to get past the first thing I'm going to say, and I'm just, I'm sorry, but until you grow up and learn to listen to what God's saying, you can get offended all you want. David said, get everybody a loaf of bread, two cakes, and send them home to have babies. That was a blessing in those days. Amen. Especially when they grow up and leave. Hallelujah. <laughs> My mama's even saying amen to that. That's the first time I ever heard her say amen. Uh, David said, go home and bless your family. Would he do this? Because if there's any reason why to have a population explosion, it's because God. It's because the revival of God is intended to bring procreation. The revival of God is intended to bring reproduction. You ain't got it yet. A revival of God is not to make us feel better. It's to get us to find somebody else. It's to raise up another generation. It's to move a power that wins a city to God. If anyone is born again, they become new. We need to have some reproduction. We need some people being born again. what happens in revival people find new life so far in this revival it's been about us coming alive and I'm preaching to my mama here I'll have to hear it later but the last time I checked there's not too many people in graveyards having babies. Dead people don't have children. And we can't have a revival that reproduces the faith until we become alive again. Oh, but the days of us celebrating and feeling good and getting excited and feeling anointing that's just for us are quickly coming to an end. I believe it's time that we start seeing a revival that reproduces, that reproduces a revival that brings new life, a revival that brings new growth. We can't have revival if we keep it for ourselves. We've got to give it away. Give it to your husband. You give it to your wife. You give it to your, you give it to your neighbor. You give it to your co-worker. You give, it, you give it to that person down the street that you don't even like. Quit holding on to the power of God. Quit holding on and saying, this is mine. This is ours. And say, I want you to have what I've got. David gave them the ingredients of a party. A loaf of bread and two cakes. Woo! 
oh, I think I'm going to go home every night from church, have me a big old piece of zucchini bread and a couple of cakes. I'll call it spiritual. David said, I want you to go and celebrate. I want you to go and be happy. When we get past, when we get past the, we get past the fear of God's correction, then we get the celebration of God's presence. But too many times we, we leave revival going, oh, pastor was so mean. Yeah, I know. You did the other night when I told you you couldn't hide in the sound booth. And you quit worrying about what happens here and what happens there, and you start saying, give me the celebration. Let me celebrate. When you start celebrating, sharing revival becomes easy. Sharing revival becomes simple because you're happy. I don't know where us Pentecostal people got this idea we're supposed to be sad. I had to go to revival every night for a week. Now they're going to say another half week. We all know what that means. Going to be another week. <sighs> I'm so tired we've been in church every night. When are we going to get excited about what God's doing? When are we going to get excited and start saying, listen, oh, my life's been flipped upside down. I've been busy. It's been crazy. But, oh, let me tell you something. God is good, and God is blessing, and God is moving, and God is providing. Bible. Meant to be carried on your shoulders. Surrounded by sacrifice. It's escorted, it's escorted by praise. It's intended to be given away. Let me ask. Revival is not, not always. I still don't. Revival is not always accepted. Accepted is what I'm trying to say. Let me tell you something. Tell you something. David comes back. He comes in his house to bless his own wife, who is Saul's daughter. He got Michael as a wife, supposed to get her because he killed Goliath. Saul reneged. He went out and had to. Saul told him to get a hundred foreskins from the Philistines. He brought back two hundred. He paid a price for her. He come in to bless her. I want you to hear the amazingness of this. It was customary in that day that any descendant of the king you replace, you killed. 
David not only didn't kill the descendants of, of Saul, he was married to one, and he came home intending to give one of Saul's descendants a child. You understand what that means? If Michael had paid attention and understood who God was, God was about to open up a door for the throne of Israel to not only be in David's line, but to still be in Saul's line. Saul was still going to be blessed through his daughter. But she had the religious attitude of her daddy. Saul didn't respect who God was. Instead, he looked for information from witches and soothsayers. He lost the favor. He lost the anointing. And now his daughter stands, and instead of celebrating the return of the presence of God, she goes, oh, you think you're something, don't you? Well, that's not the way my daddy would have done it. No, that's not the way your daddy would have done it because your daddy left the ark hid in somebody else's house. Your daddy didn't want the presence of God, and obviously you don't either. The problem is we got a bunch of Michaels in the church that say, I don't want the presence of God in my house. It gets too loud. It gets too this, too that. I have too many responsibilities. I just want to lean on the grace of God. I just want it to be like it's always been. If it stays like it's always been, you're going to die in your sin. She mocked him. She attacked him. And David said, your wound will be closed. Andrew, tell me to sit down like that. He says, Sam, when he's tired, but not when he's going to say something mean. If your church ain't growing, better make sure you're not mocking. You're not leading people to the Lord. If you can't remember the last time you led somebody to the Lord, maybe God's closed your womb up because you have refused to celebrate the presence of God. It's just not my job. All right, Michael. Got news for you. Quit explaining away why you're not sharing your faith. Quit explaining away why you're not witnessing. Quit trying to pawn it off that you pay a pastor to do that. You don't pay me to witness to people. You pay me to equip you. And I'm telling you right now, I'm preaching the truth. You better start living it. Besides that, you pay Pastor Tommy. We ain't taking offerings up. You ain't paying Evangelist Tommy. Let me tell you something, church. I'm sick and tired, not only of being churches 
full of people who don't want to win the loss, but I'm tired of not winning the loss myself. Tired of being barren. I want to celebrate God. Pastor, how do we change it? We go out and we put revival on our shoulders. We sacrifice. We praise. We give it away. We carry it. We sacrifice. We praise and we give it away. We're about to make a shift. Been waiting for it. Waiting for it. We're about to make a shift. I believe this is the transition sermon. I believe Sunday night, I don't know what God's going to have me preach Sunday night yet, but I, I have a feeling that we're going to start talking about reproduction. I have a feeling we're going to start talking about new life. I have a feeling we're going to start talking. You've got another week. Not this week. I believe that we're we're about to move into a time that this revival is not going to be about making us feel good and us leaving here going, oh, that was But instead, it's going to be about us walking out of here hand in hand with new people that have found Christ for the first time. Pastor, how are they going to get here? They're going to get here because you're going to start sharing it. You're going to start calling them. You're going to start inviting them. Some of you are going to have to take them out to dinner. You better do it before church. You're going to take them out to dinner. I believe with all my heart, many of you know we've got a board in the back of that foyer. We mark people that get saved. We do that because that's what we're supposed to be here. I believe we're going to fill that wall up the next couple of weeks. It's not going to happen because of me. It's going to happen because you put revival on your shoulders. You begin to sacrifice. You begin to praise. You begin to give it away. We're at a turning point. Question now is are you David? Are you Michael? Are you David and ready to worship God and ready to carry the power and the presence of God everywhere you go? Are you Michael? And say, that's just not the way we do it. Are you going to make excuses? Are you going to reach out? I can't answer that question. You have to answer. Here's what I can do. I can. I can pray for each and every one of you that wants to be a David. And I can ask God to open a door. Every one of you knows somebody that's lost. Every one of you come in contact with many people you don't even know that are lost. And I can pray that God opens the door even either in somebody you know's life or in a complete stranger.
that you can open a door to share your faith. Not everybody that's going to get saved in this revival is going to get saved in this altar. I would dare say most of them are going to get saved at Hy-Vee and Walmart and Dollar General and Dollar Tree and McDonald's and, 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 and El Toro and Applebee. I believe most of them are going to get saved somewhere else because you're sharing. I can pray God opens the door. Here's what I'm going to do tonight. All week we've prayed for God to bless us. Tonight we're going to pray that God blesses you. What I can do is when you leave here tonight, I'm going to send you out of here spiritually with a loaf of bread and a cake of raisins and a cake of dates. And I'm going to tell you to go home and bless it. Spiritually. I pray this prayer. You say, Pastor, I want to be a David. Excuse me, evangelist, I want to be a David. I want you to get out of your seat and come stand across the front. If I had bread and cakes to give you, I'd have to come to each one of you. What I'm going to do is once you get up here, I'm going to come to each one of you and I'm going to lay hands on you and spiritually I'm going to say, God, give them what they need to bless this city. I'm about to send you out to bless this city, to bless this region, to bless this area. This revival didn't happen so we could feel good. This revival happened so we could change this part of the state. Come on. You're ready to be a David. I want you to get to this altar. Dear Lord Jesus, right now, Lord, I want you to fill this house with Davids, that Davids that will take revenge.